0: start, awesome. yeah, alright, uh, so if you don't know who I am, hello by the way, I'm Katie, uh, so I'm from a company called Triangle Pixels, um, so we're actually based down in Cornwall, but I have over the past 10 years, nearly 10 years now, worked at all sorts of studios around the country, well around England I should say actually, to realise that, um, being Frontier or Sony London Studio and, hello, batteries, thank you. Uh, so, a uh, previous game that we worked on was Unseen Diplomacy, uh, which was a hc Vive game where you're a spy trying to save the world by quadruple events and wrongly Flazers. and because it was all on the HTC Vive, you have to actually do all that, so it was like a real assault course that you were doing, literally having to crawl around the floor, so I saw a lot of bum cracks while I was <laughs> testing out this game, as you can imagine. And uh current game that we're making is called Smash It Plunder. Uh, this is for PlayStation VR uh, with Sony. And the idea of this one is that you're trying to just ransack the castle looking for the treasure so you can pay off your mortgage. Very millennial. Uh, so I actually started off, I guess, my career um, at the University of Birmingham. And I didn't actually start in games. I did physics and space research at university. Uh, So I was designing things like this. Um, I really, though, always wanted to be in games. And part of the reason why I chose this course of uh, physics and space research was because it actually had programming. And I was like, oh, well, I'm sort of programming. I'm like, come out with robot stuff. And in my spare time, I actually had a part-time job as an artist and a graphics artist. So, because I knew it's like, well, if I do art, then in terms of my career, like, there's not that many choices compared to if you say to someone, hey, I've done rocket science. Like, that's a much more transferable skill in some strange ways. Um, but what actually happened was I actually had a careers fair day at the university, and they invited all these engineers to come around, and there was a lot of... I mean, there's the o- obvious ones like the Army, there was ones like the Navy, uh, nuclear, there was lots of lawyers trying to get a lot of assist for some reason, bits into to do, with, like, the statistical modelling and stuff that we can do. But then there was also a company called Frontier, uh, who make games, and they're better known now for uh, Elite, and Elite Dangerous, uh, which is actually one of the projects that I sort of touched on, as you can imagine. Like, suddenly they're like, they're, like oh, there's a girl here who actually seems to have done this for her university course, she's quite useful. But uh, I basically went up to the director at this careers fair and I said to him, well, I'm a girl that's into games, um, I've done programming in my course, I've done rocket science, I've done art, but I really want to get into games, So I just don't know what I want to do or how I'm gonna do it. And so he invited me over to their studio just to have a tour. But when I was going round the studio, It wasn't just a case of just taking everything in. I was just commentating and like, just saying, hey, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Lots of questions. Just sort of really judging them and the game that they were doing and why they were doing it. And it was at that point where they said to me, hey, you know, there's this career called games design and this is what you do. You actually question things. You come up with design for things. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. So they offered me the job. And... In some ways, I know now looking at everybody else I've met, that was incredibly lucky. But part of it was because I was starting to really broaden all the sort of skills I had. So like I said, doing programming, doing art, and it wasn't like I was excellent at those things, but it showed that I was committed to trying to learn gaming. So when I did actually start at Frontier, I had no idea what I was doing my first day. I was having nightmares for ages, because I ended up getting the uh, job in the Christmas before I actually graduated. So for ages I was like, well, what am I gonna be doing? What am I supposed to do? So there's a lot of me looking off on the internet, seeing what game designers do for a living, uh, sort of how they sort of structure documents and things. And I saw it as, oh, wait, well, when I make a level, actually, it's a bit like making an experiment. Like, I have to think of all the things I'm gonna need. I'm going to have to think about all the different ways it could go wrong. And then I'm going to need to test it. It was exactly the sort of same thing I was doing on my course. But when I did get there, I didn't stop learning. I carried on. I went to people who were much more experienced, who had been there for donkey's years. And I asked them, it's like, OK, I'm brand new. It would be great if you know you had some books or something that I can read. Or you know, how did you get to where you are now? And I wasn't afraid to just ask. And I think that's my first point, is just, it doesn't matter who they are, they're more than willing to talk to you and share and try and help you. Because you're not competing in the games industry, everyone's working together. The other thing I kept doing, of course, was just keep playing games. And as soon as I got the job, I started really looking at all the games I was playing and exactly why I was enjoying them, why I wasn't enjoying them. And I wrote like this massive book of notes from every single game that I played. And I felt like that really helped me just take a step back from just enjoying games and actually being more like a critic of games. And that way that I can figure out how can I improve games. So the other thing that uh, I would suggest you keep doing is start really trying to develop a wide range of skills. So this is me trying out programming, trying out uh, design, trying out animation, trying out all those things. And that's especially easy now, because obviously you've got YouTube. Back then, that really wasn't that much of a thing for me. But it basically allows you to not necessarily do those things, but when you're talking to a programmer or an artist about something, it's just having an understanding of what they're working on, how they work, and then terms and terminology they might actually use. So if someone's talking to you about rigging, you're just like, what, what's a rig? What's rigging? Then rather than that happening, you can actually start a proper full conversation and say, oh, right, okay, well, maybe the weight on this skin isn't right here and things like that. Like, you can actually have a sensible conversation with them. The other thing that I found quite useful was actually rather than staying in the one games team, was trying to get onto other games team within the same company. And that really exposed me to different ideas and different ways of doing things, because even within the same company, you'd be surprised how sort of singular game teams can be when they're so focused on one project. Uh, the other thing that I really did was showing the initiative. So I would take the game, and even though it wasn't my area of the game, I would have a look at how I, I could improve it, uh, write up documents, go to my leader and go, hey, I think this area of the game isn't quite working like this here in this way. I think we can do better. Let's try it. Can Can you give me some time to just try out a few different ideas? And that really put me ahead, and that's how I made a mark at Frontier. Was basically I ended up being this really junior person suddenly responsible for quite a lot of different systems and suddenly responsible for uh, the design of our tool chain because... I took the time and effort to actually look outside of the work I was directly doing at that point. The, where I've got now, like running my own company, has only really happened by looking at new tech and technology and how we could do something cool within it. So that's part of the reason why we're doing VR at the moment. That's like a new up-and-coming area. We've been doing it for some time ourselves now, but creatively, it's allowed us to make a real impact on the games industry. Um, when I was at Frontier Connect was just about to be announced so I started looking at all sorts of Connect type stuff and like, how, like what sort of concepts could be used with it how could interactions work and again it's just showing that initiative but it also means like, it could be something that could go on to do your own company if you want to and that's like I said exactly how the VR thing happened what actually happened was I went to Callum on Twitter when he said is anyone interested in doing some VR stuff I said I'm interested in doing VR stuff. Can you send me some kit? And he sent some for my company that I was working for at the time. And he sent some to me personally. And that's where we started. So every single one of my jobs that I've ever got in the games industry has always been talking to someone directly. I haven't once submitted my CV somewhere and led to a job every single time has been at an event like this or at work social meeting friends or friends so it basically goes to show it's not necessarily what you know sometimes, it's actually who you know so big tip is to go to as many events as you can um, go to develop down in Brighton if you can, that's free that's where like the whole UK games industry goes every year um, and go to conferences as well like Resd because you wouldn't be You'd be surprised, like the amount of developers actually showing their own game at rest. So go talk to them, like talk to them about the game, talk to bea- about them about the development of their game, and I guess ask for work. You know, say just say you're available. And of course, keep your online profile up to date as well. Like the first thing that I do when I get a CV is I go trying to do go- Google stalking and trying to <laughs> figure out where you are on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, seeing what you're doing. Uh, And there's also uh, a really good games industry Slack, if you can get yourself on that. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Slack, but it's basically like Discord, but for, like, work. Um, And there, there's, like, the whole UK games industry is on there. That's, like, Mike Biffle and everyone, like, everyone's on it. So if you can get yourself onto that, you immediately have access to people putting up job posts all the time, little bits of work. And in fact, our producer was just nicked. (laughs) by by, by, um, a job post that was posted on Slack. Um, When you do go to these events, however, um, big tip is make sure you're sober. Like, have a drink, be relaxed, but don't get pissed because it's so embarrassing when there's lots of people who are potentially going to be in the future paying for you to work for them, your potential employees, employers, and so, you know, just be mature, be grown up, don't cause a scene, because no one's going to hire you, otherwise. Uh, when I was at an event only a few weeks ago in London, uh, this was a big event for mainly developers and publishers, and developers were basically there to pitch their games to publishers, and we had a evening of drinks, of socialising. Uh, what these couple of developers did, I was in the middle of talking to someone and they literally came into the conversation and didn't even ask our names before they started pitching their game. And it was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> all right, first of all, in, in terms of like human interaction, that is really, really rude. We were literally in the middle of conversation. But secondly, do you think this publisher is going to give you any money after you've just barged in and interrupted them? That's not going to happen. So don't just come in and start talking about yourself or talking about your game, like listen to the conversation, take part and be interested in what other people have to say. Um, The other thing that I've had to learn when I was networking as well was learning how to move on from a conversation. So um, like jumping in has a certain kind of courage to it, but learning to leave, it's like you almost feel guilty for just leaving that person. Um, if you say you have to go to the toilet or something, that you've got an excuse. But the reason why you have to do it is because, more often than not, you've potentially paid quite a lot of money to be at an event. You know, maybe even just in terms of travel, your time. Unfortunately, that sort of has a certain kind of harshness to it where you have to meet as many people as you can. And if there is a generally a conversation that could be useful to you, or you just want to be there to socialize, then fine. But you're going to have to learn how to break away. If you come in as a group, <laughs> as I taught you out guys, that could be incredibly intimidating for you know a couple of people that might not know each other, just talking. Um, it also means you're not being very effective in terms of your time as well, because you're all there, you're learning and talking to the same people, which means that you're not exploring everybody else. So make sure you split up at these events, and you know, come together, have a quick <coughs> chat, catch up, see who wants to talk to, about what, but then split apart again. And in the same way that you don't pitch for your game immediately, don't pitch for a job. Don't come coming in saying, oh, I'm after a job, have you got any jobs available? Just say that you are available to work. It's a much classier way of saying that, you know, I'm jobless, I want some food and money, please help. Um, The other thing as well is more often that these events people are mainly there just to chill out and relax and be with friends. So don't be super nervous or really, you know, really up and really intense. Just relax as well. So all all these events, uh, what I'm leading up to is basically like I said, you get jobs for knowing people in the games industry mainly. So the only way they're going to get to know you is make sure you have some business cards. Um, even if you're not working for anyone, or maybe if, they work, if you're working for someone and they haven't given you any business cards, make sure you actually make your own business cards. Clear, concise, no nothing over the top. Um, it has actually got all your details on. So part of the reason uh, why I'm so all about trying to actually get a job via networking is because actually, once you're in your first position, it's the best way to really move ahead in your career. Um, There used to be a thing, like donkeys years ago, you know, like 70s and 80s, where it's like, oh, if you get a job, you have to stay in it for the whole life as much as you can. It's all about loyalty. That's not really a thing in the games industry. You tend to move between project to project, uh, between company to company, and that's sort of accepted. Now, if you're there somewhere like three months or something, that's something different. But if you're there for about a year and a half, that seems fine. And if you're there for 10 years, then that's also fine. So um, part of the reason why you want to get out and about as well is to explore, again, different ideas and different ways of doing things. And pretty much all the different studios that I've worked at. Every single time, I've had to use a new game engine. Um, So it's like new technology having to be learned. It's then if I move to a new studio, it's like, don't worry, I can pick up your new tech. I've done it like three or four times before. Uh, In terms of your CV, uh, you have to make sure you always keep it up to date. Like even if you're very comfortable and very happy in your job. Uh, you'd be surprised how much stuff you just forget if you've left it for two, three years before you actually update your CV. So keep it up to date, and you never know. like Something might just turn up, and you can just immediately just send it off. Um, with CVs nowadays, like nobody prints them out. Um, so what that means is the style of the CV has changed from this very dry, black-and-white document with text to things with hyperlinks, potentially videos uh, and uh, just images. Because at the end of the day, the, you're going into a creative industry. It's good to actually show your creativity in your CV. It still needs to be clean. It's still not not over the top. At the same time, having like a black and white text document where you've got URLs literally typed out but not hyperlinked is really annoying. You want to make sure it's something that people can actually use on like a mobile phone or tablet as well. Because it sounds really daft, but when you're in an interview, that's what someone's going to have. They're not going to have your pa- uh, CV printed out, it's literally going to be on someone's tablet. When you're sending your CV to someone, uh, make sure that you have it as a PDF, mainly because when you actually save Word docs and open it in different versions of Word or doc- uh, Google docs, all the font changes or the layout changes, and PDF is the only way that it makes sure that it always stays consistent. And then in terms of the content, uh, if you guys are obviously graduates or new to the industry, really that is probably gonna be one page. But I'm at the point where I'm actually up to four pages. And that's sort of okay now. Like the whole one page thing really was about if you're going to a shop and you're giving someone your CV, they might lose the second half of it or something. So it is okay now to have something a little bit longer. But again, it's about sort of being concise and not just waffling. In terms of your, uh, like your video, I've got what they call them now: pitch videos, portfolio video, That's it. You want to make sure it's obviously very easy to link and to download. So being on YouTube, maybe it's an unlisted video instead. Um, The worst thing is like when I get something sent to me and it's like this physical thing I have to download onto my machine and then try and find a video player to play it. It's really irritating. It's about just making it really easy for someone to just go click, click, oh there you go. We want to make sure it's short as well. So it's like a minute, minute and a half max. And you want to show off the different skills you have. Uh, There's no point in having a portfolio where as a programmer basically all you have is just UI. It's like, this is all the UI I did for this game. This is all the UI I did for this game. Because that means you're only going for a UI job, right? Because you haven't showed any of the skills on there. Um, that's the same thing for a, a game designer as well. So a game designer, if you've only done one type of game, maybe it's like you've only done Cindy games or something, or Barbie games, then you're not going to necessarily be hired for an FPS. You also want to be uh, tailoring it to the position that you're going for as well. So if you are going for uh, an animation job, maybe even though you're a general artist, then obviously your portfolio should be a little bit more bulkier with full of animation things. Uh, the real key is to really only show your best stuff. Maybe that's just one or two things, and that's absolutely fine. Because if you start pointing stuff up that looks ropey or a bit rubbish, I'm just going to immediately ignore you. Sorry. And for finding jobs, you have got obviously job sites and recruiters and things. In fact, you've probably got blasted with recruiters already. Um, But actually, there's a really useful website called the UK Games Industry Map uh, by Yuki. And that has a map of literally every single game studio there is in the UK with links to all their websites and uh, there are so many game studios that don't have their jobs advertised on job recruiter sites because it costs them money. They have them only on their own websites. Especially smaller studios like us. We, we don't bother. We basically put, our up on, um, put them up on our own website and then ask on the UK game Slack. Uh, we also, of course, tweet out. So we're using hashtag games industry dev jobs and variants of because Twitter is an excellent place for finding jobs. So uh, it's also an excellent place for finding employees. So we found our producer, that we currently have, through Twitter. Uh, And rely on that network of business cards that you've got as well from all these various events. Like, do the sort of asking around saying you're available for work, what's going on, you know, and just reconnect with people. And reconnect with them as friends, not just as potential employees. And in terms of applying, like the amount of emails that I get from really embarrassing or really rubbish-looking email addresses, it's, <laughs> it's just shameful. Like, if I get like Henry Fifty Five or something, or it, I'm just gonna go, well, <laughs> I don't know who you are. Like, but I actually ended up getting a Gmail just with my full name, luckily. Uh, that looks really professional when I'm applying for places and that's what I use now if I was to apply for a place so if you can do that even if you have to use like not Gmail to do it and just forward it on somehow then that looks so much more professional Uh, of course like in your emails even if you are applying to someone that you know you don't know if that email is going to be passed on or forwarded to someone else so just make it look professional Um, and I see a lot of times where our uh, company name has clearly been mail merged, if you know what mail merging is, which is basically when you swap out someone's name and put someone else's in automatically in an email because you've got like little spaces or the font is quite different. Like, just don't bother. Like, in terms of the amount of jobs you're going for, it's not going to be worth mail merging because you're probably going to lose out on something. So just every single job you apply for, just go to the website, talk about the games, say how interested you are in their games, and say you want to be part of that team. And of course, make sure you actually do attach your portfolio and CV. When you do actually get into the interview, um, the big thing that I actually sort of twigged onto was that it's not just an interview for them on you, it's you are interviewing them as well. Uh, I've turned down a job after I got offered it, because I looked around the studio, I didn't see, like, like what I saw, like, I I liked the team, but the actual physical location I didn't like, and it seems like a really shallow thing, but I then went on to another job at some other point, and I didn't like the, the location, and I ended up quitting pretty much straight away, so I should have just listened to my gut then. Um, but it also shows that you're actually passionate about getting the job so you know asking for about bonuses asking about how your career is going to actually develop there um, about the different socials might have cheeky things like well how behind are you actually in the game Uh, and if you can try and get them to give you an actual studio tour as well because like I said it's that whole sort of environment it's not just necessarily the people uh, a no, nice question as well is just asking them what they don't like about the place because it gives you a good clue and it also throws them off a lot as well so <laughs> good one uh, and don't go in a suit like nobody in the games industry wears suits this is my smart dress because I'm wearing this <laughs> so don't do not do it uh, but obviously do dress smart casual pretty much what you're wearing today it's fine uh, and then course the biggest thing is even though you might not have a job yet is to just keep making stuff and even if you do job keep making stuff like just continue to make stuff because you never know where it might lead um, some people it might lead to maybe a new position somewhere else some people might lead to actually their own indie game and that doing well uh, and that's where we ended up this is a picture of our living room office Sorry, Uh, down in Cornwall and uh, it was just because we were making stuff in our spare time where suddenly that sort of felt like it was getting on top and we were like, let's see if we can go indie with this whole thing and then we did and it did well and we're doing the other one and it's doing well again. So that was just because it was all in our spare time. But the biggest thing that I'd say on this is make sure you try and learn at other studios first before you do your own indie thing. And that's mainly because you learn so much about making games actually in the games industry rather than in universities or colleges. It's completely different dynamic, um, completely different pressures, and you actually find out more about the process of making games rather than actually how to animate or draw or something. And you also, basically, they're paying for your training they are giving you a wage to learn off all the people around you that have been in the games industry for years. That's invaluable. Um, So if you are going to do the whole indie thing, um, like we did, it's don't quit until you've actually got money coming in. Uh, It is terrifying the amount of people that I meet who have quit games, like, well, quit the games industry, as it were, to do the whole indie thing, and then... It's like, well, they haven't had any money for six months, 10 months, 12 months. It's like trying to let go at that point of your game and your game idea so you can go back to work again is really, really hard and you're gonna find it impossible and you're probably gonna get bankrupt before you even do it. So just don't even tempt the idea. If you, for some reason, absolutely have to quit, for some reason, I don't know why, then make sure you get some freelance work in. Freelance work pays really well, if you're experienced enough. Um, it allows you the flexibility of time to work at the weekends or evenings if you want to. It pays much more per day than a normal, traditional job does. So it means that basically you work two days a week on freelance and the rest of the time on your own game. Uh, the <laughs> there's quite a few studios that we know is really good indie studios that are really successful. And they've been successful because they've made lots of games all their previous games have basically been been supported by the fact that their husbands or wives are actually in normal jobs. Uh, So that's something they don't necessarily talk about, but it's definitely something I've noticed where it's like secretly the other half is supporting the guy or the girl doing their own indie thing. So make sure you talk to them before you do it. Um, What we ended up doing using all our holidays and free time basically meant that in terms of our workload it wasn't great, obviously. But in terms of us you know, like getting ahead of the game, getting prototype ready, it worked really well for us. So like I said, don't just quit. And ultimately, your game, even if you say you're going to spend six months wait, uh, making it, will take much, much longer. You have no idea how much you're going to slip. You will slip, and every single moment of your life costs money, like in terms of rent, in terms of food, in terms of clothing. So time is money. Do not quit until <laughs> you've got that money coming in. By the way, our current game, Smash It Thunder, we started four years ago, we said we we're gonna make it in six months. <laughs> so even if you are going indie, and it's gonna be like a hobby, make sure you set it up as a limited company. Um, it's very cheap to do that, and it does have some legal responsibilities, but it also makes it much easier to be able to get funding, to get grants, to be able to go to the public and say, hey. This is my company not just me doing my own thing uh, legal wise as well it's much better for you in case someone tries to sue you technically you're not suing you they're suing your company your company can go back from to you personally are absolutely fine so you don't lose your house you don't lose your car it's just your company that goes make sure you have nda's when you're signing with people this is non-disclosure agreements so if you're, even if it's your best friend or whatever, sign one, um, because otherwise they are just free to blab about whatever you're doing. That might not be the best thing for your game. And make sure that you always sign a contract with them, even if they're your friend or best friend, or you've worked with them for years. Because otherwise it could end up with arguments down the line, and it will end up them technically owning 50% of your game. Like, even if it's a freelancer that you've hired and you're giving money to, they will own a percentage of your game unless you rit- get it written in the contract that they don't. With any sort of game sales, if you're very fortunate, um, that you get, technically, the, you do not own that money. That is the company's money that will get taxed, that will get um, like checked by the government occasionally. It also means you do get video games tax relief at some point but don't just take it out and put it in your own personal account. So make sure you have a separate business account for everything. Again, it's really cheap, very easy to sort out. And the amount of uh, like companies that start up and basically trying to sell themselves straight away, or you go to one of these uh, investor companies or uh, incubators and they say, oh, we can give you this workspace for three months, but for that, you only have to give us 5% of your company. Like, that 5% is worth much, much more than an office desk. Like, it's terrifying the amount of people that will try and get some ownership of your company. Ultimately, you have ownership of your company, and if you want to sell it, then you sell it. You don't sell bits of it. Like, that just ends up basically you losing creative control. It means that, at the end of the day, you don't own what you're making. again don't spend money unless you obviously need to so it's terrifying the amount of indies that end up spending thousands of pounds to show at rest when they've only got a prototype it's like they're never going to get their money back they're never going to find a publisher like that because publishers don't go along the floor so what are they doing that for it's basically to pat themselves on the back um when you are actually doing any sort of business transaction, you have to make sure you keep all your receipts. It's like really practical stuff. But at any point, you can get the government coming up to you and saying, hey, that that transaction you did three years ago, where's the receipt? You have to be ready there, ready with it. Um, We spent way too long of our lives in Microsoft Excel and Google Sheets trying to do our own accounts and bookkeeping. Um, As soon as it started to get towards trying to do our own VAT, it ended up being impossible to manage. So the £5 a month, I don't know how much it is, for bookkeeping software like Xero or QuickBooks is 100% worth it, even if you're only just starting off. Because they've got awesome stuff, like you take a photo of the receipt, it automatically gets put into your books and things like that. Uh, And there's a lot of grants and funds out there. Um, So Video Games Tax Relief is definitely one of them. We've got a lot of money back from Video Games Tax Relief. Uh, and Cormor f- uh, Cultivator is something that's helped us out a lot as well but with all those things like all the forms take a long time to do so keep those forms which you've done them and copy and paste bits into new forms if you need to um, it just saves you so much time uh, make sure you are open to the idea of having to do work for hire um, again there's a surprising amount of indie companies that look like they're doing like really successful stuff, but actually what they're doing is supplementing their creative own indie game with enterprise stuff, with stuff like making things for other like, companies, like other developers, or even just totally unrelated companies. So we've done work for hire stuff for, with a local artists, we've done work for hire stuff with other publishers from the states, and we're doing work for hire stuff which is just, like, completely somewhat unrelated to games. But that helps pay for things like localization, like translation that you need, or to get pay ratings. And even though you might get an accountant at some point, it, you will have to learn how to sort of... What that is, and, like, how to do that, and what it means for your company. Um, same with, like, how to do invoicing and how to do your own taxes and what PYA is and how it works. Because if you're doing your own indie thing, it's, it's too expensive to potentially go out and get someone to do all that for you. In terms of uh, practicalities, we spend probably, what, 60% of our time actually making the game. The rest of the time is managing all this other stuff. And is managing also new people, so having new people come on board, it's like two weeks of our time is gone, teaching that new person everything. Um, people management, like even just in terms of like people you're talking to over email about like potential publishing things, take a lot of time out your day. So don't not go indie if you do not like doing all that other stuff, because ultimately you might as well just be working for someone else, helping them contribute towards their game, if you like just development. You also, uh, you will have to keep an eye on your own time, like, and manage your own time, and realize each and every second of your own time is money. And that sounds really horrible. It ends up being very lawyer-like. Exactly what lawyers do, they charge like 50 pounds per 15 minutes or something. But then, at that point, you can realise what's worth you going to and what isn't. Uh, what's worth what work is worth you doing, and how much you're going to be charging for that work. And you're going to be uh, setting a lot of deadlines for yourself, and you have to really try to stick to them because otherwise, you do exactly what we did, which is basically make our game last I don't know how many more times as long in terms of development than it really should have. So. Part of that is making sure you do actually plan it and when you're gonna have time off, because none of us can work every single hour of the day, weekends, evenings, you need to put in holidays and we didn't realize how much of a holiday we needed until we didn't have one for three years and then when we took a holiday and it's like, oh my God, (laughs) we just didn't realize how much we needed it and one week was not enough. Um, In terms of your online presence, obviously, you're going to need yourself a website, Uh, but the other thing you're going to need is something called a press kit. Uh, This is a free bit of software web page thing that you put onto your own server, uh, where basically press go to get your information from, and everyone's got the same layout and template, so they just literally go to your website, copy and paste bits, and put it into their own articles and you wouldn't believe the like amount of articles, the reason why so many of them look similar is, isn't is because they're copying and pasting off each other, they're copying and pasting off the press kit uh, and in terms of like the opportunity that you have with your CV that I was talking about earlier but having one prepared, you basically want to make a CV for your business as well, uh, This we call a business deck and also make sure that any game you're working on you have an up to date pitch deck as well because Instead, go to an evening or a talk and you find someone that might be able to publish your next game or might be interested in some work for hire rather than getting to wait for six weeks or something while you make your pitch deck you already have one there and on the night you can literally just email them. Um, So a good way of getting your business out there and your identity out there and hopefully getting more of that work for hire in or respect is doing Lots of talks and interviews, like blog posts. Again, you can see where like a lot. The reason why we don't spend a lot of time actually making stuff comes from because we're having to do stuff like this. It's great, uh, but it does actually get your name out there as well, and that really, really helps you. Uh, make sure you make some sort of um, every time you, so you do an event, they ask for your bio and your headshot. So a bio is basically like a short paragraph about yourself. Um, It's making it so it's not just, I'm Katie Good, I am this, I am that. It's making it so that they can copy and paste it on their website and send it out to press. And Headshot needs to just be really high quality, nothing really behind in the background, really clean face, and not that you look drunk or anything weird like that. Um, Make sure you keep networking. That is the most important. Um, At this point now, it's not just you, it's also your business you're trying to push. And apply for lots of awards as well, like uh, the BAFTA awards, for example, you have to actually go and apply for, like here is my game, here is what it's about, this is what we think it could be up for. Um, Quite a few awards you have to pay for as well, Uh, again, don't pay for them unless you feel like it's really needed, but sometimes it really is worth it. Um, In fact, I was at an awards thing last night that my producer put us through and we won, so... It really helps. Uh, uh, but, again, keep a copy of all the forms. Um, so you don't have to reinvent the reel every time you apply for a new award. It's like, I've got a bit about the game here. Let's copy and paste that onto this award form. And then make sure you show at events and conferences. But actually, like the little meetups is where we started. Um, there's a lot on meetup.com. Uh, there's a lot through Twitter that just get arranged. And there, it's not necessarily just about getting your face out and about and meeting new people, it's a lot of free playtesting, which as an indie is very hard to do and get organized. So, just to quickly round up, I guess. Um, the main thing is just keep making stuff. Uh, like I said, you don't know where it can lead. It could lead to a new job, it could lead to a new business. Make sure you keep networking, so come into events like this, but then go into conferences, go into meetups and bars, because that's probably where your new job will lie. Make sure you build up your skill set and just get it varied from a you know being a good colleague perspective, understanding what people are working on, uh, to actually potentially a new position in a new place. And then it's great to work for others, you don't actually have to be indie if you don't want to. Um, like indie, Going indie isn't necessarily for everybody. Um, it's definitely not for people who like to just focus on one thing, because that's just not going to be a thing. Uh, so it's completely fine to spend your whole career at one game studio if you really want to. Uh, so thank you. Um, has anyone got any questions?
1: How did you get your original studio together? Was it friends or people you'd worked with before?
0: So, uh, basically it was me and my husband. We enjoyed work, we were single, and enjoyed working together at London Studio. Um, Then, (laughs) a bit bit personal. We then became a couple, but then part of that was because we really loved working with each other, and like creatively on the same sort of thing. Um, so even though we didn't have all the skills in house, we may do for a long time, like none of us are artists um, and it was really only once we start getting actual funding in did we actually get artwork done everything else was us just learning and like, trying, like remembering because we'd worked at previous studios we worked with lots of other people, we picked up a lot of stuff so it's was able to make a lot of the game ourselves, so Unseen Diplomacy, the first game that you saw there was just the two of us um, the smash it plunder has been like seven of us, so yeah. Like I guess that's not quite going at it with your friends, but I think ultimately with a business partner, it's a very different relationship to a friend, and it's a very different relationship to just someone you don't know and a colleague, because there is a very different kind of trust there that you need. So, but does that answer your yeah. question? Okay. <laughs> Anyone else? Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. You mentioned that uh, as an indie company, uh, you're going to have to reach out to other uh, companies to do work for. Mm -hmm. Was that you guys directly going to um, other companies to ask for work or was that them approaching you?
0: There's been a big mix. Uh, At first, the first bits that we got in were people posting on Twitter asking for someone to do a bit of code. Or for or someone on Slack asking they've got a bit of a job can someone help and we would approach them as a company rather than as an individual uh, and then so we would invoice them as a company and even though technically that meant that like that money was shared between everybody it starts to build the portfolio up it starts to make you look like you're a proper work for hire studio and that will lead to better bigger things so now we have people approaching us for stuff. Uh, so we've had people over in America and all these different like VR manufacturers actually approach us to do work for them and for <coughs> their mate. Um So it, again, it's just building building it and thinking of it long term, not just the short term. Quick, that money is me for my thing, just because I'm the programmer and I've got full of money. <laughs> yeah? How willing
1: are companies to sort of cross-train you? So say like, you come on as a programmer but you want to be a designer, how willing are they to sort of put you in that direction? So,
0: uh, it will very much depend on the personality of the company, but uh, at Frontier, they were very good at allowing you to try different things out, and at Sony London Studio as well. So, there was... Uh, what did um, Dave... VFX Dave, Dave do?
1: started QA. Anyone? Shout
0: louder. <coughs> Hi, <laughs> Sorry,
1: I'm Joe Campbell. I'm technical director at Cherry Pickles. Um, when I was at Lundestu- Sony London Studio... I uh, had a good friend who started a QA, who then made his way into a design role. Um, he then transitioned into doing particles and VFX and is now a lighting engineer, um, which is not the normal route, um, but he's very good at pretty much all of those. I don't know how good he was at <laughs> QA. Um, so it does very much depend on like case of the person, the the company and kind of also how much you're willing to kind of take a step down in responsibilities. Mm. Uh, because he went from being a, uh, a, a mid-level designer to a junior VFX artist.
0: But, I mean, part of it, again, is just talking with people. Um, peop- everybody wants you to grow. And especially, you know what, if you if your company is missing a designer, and you're like, hey, maybe I can try that out. I'll just cover the position while you're finding somewhere else it's a good way to get into it. Cool.
1: Um, you said that you went to university and that's where you learned to uh, program. Mm-hmm. Um, from there till now, um, how, uh, what different programming languages are you now? So you
0: I learned C++ when I was at university. Okay. Um, I started in games design, so technically I didn't need to know anything, but that's where I started picking up Lua scripting which actually, that was used on PlayStation Home as the main programming language, so I ended up becoming a programming designer by using Lua. But now, pretty much, if anyone's in Unity, they're using C-sharp. Uh, John? <laughs> um,
1: yeah, it depends where, like, what your own goal is. Um, if you're aiming to be engine programmer or um, a low-level programmer, most, could be going to be using C or C++. Um, if you're talking about more gameplay, or maybe more scripting level, um, then yeah, C-sharp and Lua maybe Python. Um, to be honest, Game Studios won't be that fussed as long as you're competent in the languages that you have got experience in. And um, to be honest, what would really help is having some work that you've made in that that you can show off. So when I got my first job um, out of university, I had not done any C++ but had done quite a lot of Java. And I had games I'd written in Java um, and was able to show those off at the interview. And then from uh, that got my first job which was C++, which is a language I'd not really used at the time. But as a junior, I'm quite happy to kind of throw me in at the deep end. So it's... Having something to show uh, in your portfolio is probably more important than any specific language. Yeah? Um, do you have much experience with people who are sort of like enthusiastic about games and they go into journalism and then they sort of do they cross over into actual games
0: design? Yeah, uh. Because I feel like I can't program. Do you know Gunpoint? Sort of have you heard of Gunpoint? No. Uh, Heat Signature? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. he's a journalist. Uh, What what, was his name? Tom Francis. Tom Francis was originally a games journalist. He had no idea how to program. He had Mm -hmm. no idea how to make a game. He just knew what made a good game and had a game idea, and he just Mm -hmm. did it. He just sat down and just learnt bits. And it's starting small, like start super small. If you are curious about games programming, like I don't enjoy it, but I did some of it i was curious about it um and basically just started making small little things like my first game that i made at university was basically like this weird app where i wouldn't even call it a game it's weird um your cursor was a monkey and there was little you were a little vampire monkey and there was lots of little normal monkeys around and over time your health would always decline so you had to keep moving your mouse over the monkeys that was it (laughs) yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, you, you, like eventually, you would die, but with that, it basically showed, mm. like, oh, right, yeah, she's actually really interested in games, even though she wasn't doing games. Mm. And then I started making more stuff
1: because I found it's just so easy to play a game, and I wouldn't even start to sort of think about why I like it, or you know, you're just playing it, aren't you? Yeah, what you said about actually writing down about each game. Mm-hmm. You've got actually building up a book and then you start that's an opinion, isn't it? Yeah. Forming and it's like you can talk in the same language as the designers, you know.
0: It's like you don't have to treat from now on in your life every single game that you play as always work. Like I still have very much time so I just play games for playing games. Yeah. But now I've got myself into the habit of that I can just think about what I did and oh last night oh right yeah that thing happened oh I'll just make a note of that like mental note somewhere mm-hmm. you know back in the brain um so it's basically just getting you into that practice of like looking really looking at it mm-hmm. and just taking a step back and seeing why it works and we, we do the same thing now with films don't we we're not really we're not interested in making films but we now take a step back, and we've watched lots of stuff about analysing different films and how camera angles and lighting changes, and we've started using that in our games. Yeah. Um, just and we watch a film, like we watch it and we enjoy it. But then, like twenty minutes afterwards, we're discussing about how they did this in that scene and this scene. Yeah. So, yeah, just practice. Yeah. Anyone else? Well, it's five, so yeah. ten past. Yeah, if there's no other questions. Cool. Thank you Thank you.